Hello team, howdy hi, welcome back. I really wish I had like some funky intro, like a little bit of music. Um, I don't know what type of music I would use. Hmm. Anyway, I don't have that. All you have is my voice. So welcome back. I think we are on episode 26. Today's episode is a bit of a mishmash. Um, like I said to my clients, um, which is hopefully most of you listening, um, I'm going to start doing a bit of a Q&A episode every week. So one week it might be a specific topic that has popped up and then the next week it will just be some questions that have come up either in my DMs, on Instagram, but most of all in check-ins with my clients. So very, very random topics and probably loads of rambling from me like I, I'm not going to plan these very much, to be honest. It's just going to be uh, a list of questions and me answering them. So let's get straight into it. By the way, if you hear me like sipping, I have a monster, obviously. I'm recording this in the AM and I'm having a monster. So let's get into it. Okay, so one of the first questions, what footwear is best for squats? Um, I guess this comes from seeing maybe it comes from social media a lot of these questions uh, come from social media but seeing people wearing different shoes obviously you'll see some people that wear like converse or vans um you'll see people that just wear like normal trainers you'll maybe see people wearing lifting shoes so you'll know what they look like they have like a wedged heel so you're slightly off um the ground a little bit I guess uh I think it depends, obviously, entirely on how frequently and how seriously you lift, how much money you want to spend on shoes. Um, it's not all that important, but I will explain, you know, why people wear certain shoes and maybe what shoes to avoid. That might be a great place to start. So when it comes to the lifting shoe itself, so like I said, it has like a wedged heel. Um and the main reason for this is it can help with ankle mobility. So it will allow you to kind of get into a bit of a deeper position, especially with things like squats and cleans and snatches, those kind of exercises. Um, and that will allow you to kind of recruit more muscle and generate a bit more force. It's not going to turn you from like an amateur lifter into a you know, professional lifter. It's not going to make an astounding amount of difference, but it may add a little bit more comfort to your lifts, I guess. Do I think beginners need to use them? Probably not. Like, the benefit that you're getting from these lifting shoes is only going to be significant when you have a solid base of lifting experience um, and strength and mobility. But, however, that is why we see people using the lifting shoe. Um, then, I guess, is why do people wear Converse and Vans? And this is really simple. People love a flat, hard shoe. Um, that, again, is just going to help with generating more force through our lifts. Um, and that might be squats, it might be deadlifts, it might be whatever you're doing. So that might be a better option than something like a soft running shoe. I wouldn't generally recommend a soft 
um you know you can get like these shoes that are, like clouds aren't they they're really comfortable to walk in they're probably not the ideal shoe but if that's all you've got that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be lifting in them um and if you know all else fails and you actually find that they're not helping you at all and maybe you don't feel so, uh, very secure or stable in your ankles because they're just so so soft and squishy then if your gym allows it and it's not too busy and your feet don't absolutely stink um maybe just do it in barefoot barefoot is a great way to lift i often do my deadlifts in bare feet um if i don't have my lifting uh, sorry not my lifting shoes i don't wear lifting shoes to deadlift um if i don't have them to a hard shoe to wear basically so it doesn't really make that big a difference to answer the question if you have been lifting quite a while and you want to give it a go then a hard shoe like bands converse those kind of things or um a, a lifting shoe with a little bit of a platform in the heel so that is that question second question what foods should i eat to help with ibs now there are many many causes of irritable bowel syndrome and ibs is a collection of symptoms it's known as a functional gut disorder which means that um the structure and everything of the the gut is normal but the way that it functions is not it's basically an oversensitive gut a lot of ibs symptoms come from oversensitivity and that is in response to food drink alcohol caffeine sometimes medication hormonal changes um and stress so without knowing specifically what it is that is causing your ibs symptoms i can't give specific specific recommendations but i will give you some generic recommendations so some things that you can try um if you're not drinking much water definitely increase your water intake looking at your fibre intake, that's a big one, lots of people swinging both ways, either eating too little fibre, so foods that are kind of fine fibre are things like whole grains, beans, pulses, fruit and vegetables, Um, so are you eating enough of those or are you eating too much of those and that can go both ways, so if you feel like you're not eating enough fibre, maybe look at increasing your fibre throughout the day. And with that, increasing your water because fibre needs water to function and to help our gut movement, shall we say. And vice versa, are you eating too much and not drinking enough water? So maybe looking at reducing your overall fibre volume throughout the day and increasing your water intake. Those would be the kind of first things. Um, and just making sure that you are not eating too much processed food, that can be a huge thing. Are you having a lot of caffeine? Caffeine is a gut irritant. So when you think about IBS, we like to think of IBS as like, oh, the constipation of bloating, but IBS can also mean like the diarrhea side of things and needing to go to the toilet really often or eating a specific type of food and needing to go. So uh, caffeine, alcohol, both gut irritants can, you know, cause us to go more than usual and to make it a little bit different, a bit, bit of poo chat this morning. We like a bit of poo chat. So be mindful of your caffeine intake and your alcohol intake. Um, bloating is a really funny one. I think people love to obsess over bloating and forgetting that bloating is actually a really normal function of the gut, especially if you have eaten something that is bigger than you would normally eat or different to what you would normally eat. Or again, it's just 
low in fiber, high in processed foods, you've not drank enough water, you know, on holiday, I know I get bloated quite a lot because I'm just not drinking much water or eating much fiber. So realizing that some bloating is quite normal. Um, and it's not, it's not something you need to go and do something about. You just need to be like, mm, yeah, I'm bloated because of this. If it's really painful and it's really, really, you know, you're getting such extreme distension of the stomach, then maybe that is more IBS. Um, and that will come back to things that I've already mentioned. But some things to be mindful of is maybe trying to eat smaller, more frequent meals that can help chewing your food more slowly. If you're eating a lot of hot food, spicy food, chili containing foods, maybe reducing those. Um, are you wearing tight clothes? Tight clothes can actually cause, you know, this bloating and discomfort and this constipated, constipated feeling. And then the biggest, the biggest thing is stress. A lot of my clients that are suffering with like chronic bloating and these IBS-like symptoms in that respect are really stressed. I think when it comes to like IBS, think about think of it as your body is telling you something, it's trying to tell you something, it is giving you a signal that it needs something. What does my body need? Does it need a bit more movement? Have I been really sedentary? Does it need more water? Does it need more fiber? Does it need less fiber? Um, does it need less caffeine? Does it need less alcohol? Does it need me to address some stress? And sometimes this can be like a bit of a circle as well because you may get a bit stressed, get some bloating, it might be quite uncomfortable, you get more stressed about that, you're hyper-focused on it. A lot of women that I work with associate being bloated with feeling quote-unquote fatter, like they've gained weight. Obviously they haven't, but there's this feeling that their belly is bigger and you know we're all obsessed with our bellies as women because of society and social media so it becomes a bit of a cycle and circle then but if we really really listen to what it's trying to tell us and think well you know my diet has been normal nothing's really changed I'm getting enough fiber I'm not eating too much I'm getting enough water I'm moving regularly um then it is telling you something else and maybe that's what you need to address okay I'm stressed what can I do to help with this stress what does my body need me to do does it need me to rest a little bit more do I need a little bit more sleep do I need to maybe do some mindful movement, a bit of mobility, a bit of yoga, get out for a walk? Um, I can't tell you what it is. You go away and think about that. But I would think that would be the best thing. That's the, the kind of dietary, the first line of dietary um, input would be looking at things I've already mentioned. And then secondly, like addressing your stress and things that you could maybe do for that. Um, definitely some things to think about. Next one should you go ass to grass with squats? So this is going to be very person dependent. Think about any movement you do. Going ass to grass means like, okay, if you're squatting, you're taking your butt right down to your ankles. You're getting more range of movement. That makes it more difficult. You're recruiting more muscle. Um, You know, it's just about your own strength and mobility. So Lots of people can be flexible, but they may be not strong at the end of that flexibility. At that end range, they can't actually generate much force. And that's where mobility comes into play. It's about being able to move through different ranges of motion, but having strength at those joints as well. So some people will not have the flexibility and the mobility in their ankles to get their butt down to their heels. It's something you can absolutely work on in practice, but not everyone's going to be able to do that. And I don't think we need to be, you know, aiming to do that straight away. I think we need to work on those 
other things. And the best way that you can build strength and flexibility and get more range of movement is by doing that movement under load. I think we get scared sometimes that, oh, if you can't go ask the grass, you need to just practice body weight and just don't put any load on the bar until you can do ask the grass. When that's not actually the case, you can still be working up to it. If I showed you a video of my squat three years ago, I wasn't going ask the grass. I was still lifting um, and building my strength, but I was also outside of that working on my mobility and working on hitting more depth. So ask the grass squats. If you have the mobility, do it and work on your strength from there. If you don't, then just keep doing it and keep aiming to progressively, you know, get a bit lower, do some other movements that are going to help build strength in those muscles and those joints. But it's not something that you need to do. We generally have a rule of like, we should be going parallel, which means that your hips are in line with your knees. So if you're getting there, most people can, that is great. Start from there and then work on it. But is it essential? No, it just means that you're not going to be working you know, to the full extent of that movement, the full range of movement, but you're still going to be doing something that's good for you. I think we need to to not stress about these things. Like, if that's going to be a barrier to you doing squats, take it away. You don't need to go ask the grass. Maybe I've answered that one. Shall we move on? Cool. Uh, another exercise-based question. What is the difference between a split squat and a lunge? I'm going to try and explain this on audio, which is dif- difficult. Okay, but... Now, a split lunge and a lunge, uh, sorry, <laughs> start again. A split squat and a lunge look very, very similar. Very similar movements. Go and go, go and press pause, open up YouTube, look at a split squat, look at a lunge, okay? Whether it's a forward lunge or a reverse lunge, whatever it is. The difference is with a split squat, it's a fixed movement. A lunge is a moving obviously (laughs) it's a moving movement with a lunge you're either stepping forward then stepping back you're stepping back or stepping forward with a split squat your feet are planted and you are just coming up and down in that that general movement it works very similar muscle groups if not the same um the main difference is obviously if it's moving it's gonna use a little bit more supporting stabilizing muscles when it's fixed, it will work more of the muscles that it's targeting. So a split squat targets the quads a little bit more. Um, you also might find that in a split squat, similar to like a normal squat, your knees will go over your toes. Sometimes that will happen in a lunge, but generally you'll get more of a 90 degree angle with your knee in a lunge. So there's not a lot between it, to be honest. And I think both of them make great exercises within your um regime your training regime some people find that split squats because of the fixed stance are a little bit easier starting out um people that do lunges can feel a little bit off balance and offset but i would say definitely work on both they both have great benefits um, when building strength in our lower body so that's that question next question creatine is it worth it so creatine is a supplement Um, It's one of the most heavily researched supplements that we have. It is a, well, it was generally thought of as a performance supplement. Um, It's a very natural compound, by the way. We have creatine in our body already. We can get creatine from protein sources, animal sources, red meat and the likes. But if we take extra creatine, then we can get some benefits, such as increased muscle strength, 
increase muscle size, improve performance, especially with things like, um, you know, power output, sprint performance, things like that. We have improved recovery. It allows us to improve our glycogen storage, which is obviously going to improve kind of energy production as we use that in exercise. There's also some really cool research that looks at um, improving cognitive function. So around like sleep deprivation, it can help with, um, you know, brain function in a scenario of sleep deprivation. That's not to say that you should be sleep deprived and take creatine and it'll solve your problems because it won't. Um, but yeah, generally improving working memory and, you know, overall function of the brain is said to be improved. Um, so it's quite a cool supplement to take, even if you don't think of yourself as someone that's like super, super active and is really, really focused on performance, it has other benefits. Um, and it is quite protective of lean tissue as well. So we've seen in vegetarians that when they take it, it can increase their lean tissue and increase their performance. As you get older and we start to have this natural decline of muscle mass taking creatine may help protect against that. So you can get creatine in powder or um, tablet form. The general dosage is like five grams a day. If you take that, you start taking it, it will take about a month to fully saturate your muscles and then start to get the benefits. So some people like to load it where you can take like 20 grams a day for like a week and then drop down to your maintenance dose of five grams. But yeah, lots of benefits to creatine. Uh, very, very safe. One thing I will say though is um, if you're taking powder and you put it in a drink, try and drink it like there and then or very, very soon after. I know people that have like put it in a drink, put it in the fridge ready for the morning. When it's left in liquid, it will change into a compound called creatinine, which just isn't creatine. It won't give you the benefits that you're trying to get. So yeah, you're going to put it in liquid, try and have it pretty sharpish afterwards. Cool. What is the next question? All right. BCAAs. What are they? Do we take them? What's the point? So uh, if you haven't heard of it, another supplement, branch chain amino acids. These are BCAAs. So amino acids are what make up protein. Um, and they are essential. We need those in our body to use um, any protein that comes in. So proteins are made up of 20 amino acids. I've got it there in the end. Um, some are essential, some are non-essential. The non-essential ones we can make in the body, the essential ones we need to take in through the diet. So the BCAAs are classed as some of the essential ones. Um, and a really important one within that is leucine. Leucine's kind of like the key holder for all the other amino acids. If leucine's not there, they're basically like locked out. They're like at the front door, like, hey, let us in. Who's got the key? Ah, leucine's got it. So yeah, we get a full amino acid profile from animal sources of protein, meat, fish, poultry, eggs, dairy. Uh, you can get it from soy as well. Uh, they are all classed as like complete protein sources. Vegetarian and vegan sources of protein are classed as incomplete. So you'd have to like combine two or more. So if you were a vegetarian or a vegan and you were having um, rice as a form of protein, you might want to combine that with peas as a form of protein to get that full amino acid profile. So BCAAs are three amino acids. Now, if you're somebody that is already eating a lot of complete protein sources, you don't need to supplement BCAAs because you're already getting enough in your diet. 
even if you are a vegetarian or vegan, you're probably still getting a good, as long as you're mindful of, you know, combining two or more incomplete sources, you're probably still getting the, the amino acids that you need. The only scenario I would say that BCAAs are probably useful is if you are really, really fussy and you don't like a lot of food or protein containing foods and you're vegan and vegetarian. Um, I've used it with my clients before when they've been fasting because they haven't been, like, for instance, in Ramadan, they've only been eating like one or two meals. They're very, very low on protein overall. And she didn't like whey and the normal protein shake. So we use BCAAs because you can get the like clear ones that are like taking juice. But then you can get the clear whey now. Um, so yeah, maybe in a, if you're in a dieting phase and you're struggling with overall volume of foods and you're just not able to eat enough protein, but even then I would say have a whey shake um, or a protein shake because that will contain all the amino acids. BCAAs is just part of that. But again, if you don't like any of those, then maybe BCAAs. But overall, not something I'd recommend, not something that's very, very useful, except in very specific scenarios. Last question, guys. So this is quite a deep one. We could go probably all in on this, but I'm just going to give you some advice based on my experience and some of my clients. But how do I stop consistently thinking about foods? Now, this is kind of under the bracket of, you know, disordered thoughts around food and exercise. Anybody that has a good relationship with food doesn't tend to think about food constantly. You're not consistently thinking. You're not thinking, oh, I've just eaten this, right? What's next? What am I going to eat next, right? What am I going to eat for dinner? Oh my God, how much is that? What about tomorrow? And then I'm going to have dinner. Generally, that's someone that has a a fractured relationship with food, shall we say. Um, If you're maybe thinking, oh my God, I cannot wait to go home and eat my dinner. I'm going to have this amazing, you know, homemade lasagna or burger or whatever it is. That's not a bad thing. That's looking forward to food. You can think about food in that way. But when it's all consuming, it's all you think about, that is really problematic. And like I keep saying, when something like this is going on, your body's telling you something. If you are consistently thinking about food, it's because maybe you are consistently restricting your food or you're consistently giving yourself rules around food that you can't break um, and you're attaching guilt to things you've got good and bad foods um maybe if you're constantly thinking about food maybe there's something else going on in your life emotionally that you are trying to distract from a lot of the time when people start to really restrict or control their food and their exercise it can come from having a lack of control in other areas of your life. So without knowing what's driving you to constantly think about food, I can't really tell you what specifically to do. From my experience, when I was in this point of my life where I was restricting and binging and I was consistently thinking about food, constantly thinking about how hungry I was, constantly thinking about what time I was going to eat next, constantly thinking about how much food I had left, how many calories I had left, when I got to the point where I just got a bit sick of my own shit and knew I needed to do something about it, I started to think about what time and energy I was wasting on stressing about food. What was that robbing me of? What could I have been thinking about instead of that, that would serve me better, that would 
give me, you know, more joy in my day to day. Like I almost got a bit angry about what what have I missed out on by consistently thinking about food? How many events and places and times have I not been present with my friends and my family because I have been so hyper focused on the food around me and what I was eating? And really reframing that into do I want to spend the rest of my life consistently thinking about food? and not having the time, the energy, and brain space for other things. I want you to ask yourself that if this is you. And then think, okay, then you need to start to make some changes in how you think. And I think the first step is bringing that awareness to why you are constantly thinking about food. Are you trying to control your food? Are you trying to control your body and shape and weight? And how can you better serve yourself what can you do for yourself that is better than consistently trying to do this because let's be honest right if you if you stay like this for the rest of your life you're going to get to your your deathbed and your funeral and your friends are going to stand up and say yeah she was uh she was a, a size eight through and through you know yeah she could still fit into the genes that she had pre um pre-baby and before she had her children like that's not really a great achievement your friends are not going to have anything to say about you, about the memories and the time that you spent together, because all they will know is that you were so hyper-focused on the way that you looked and the way that you ate that you didn't actually enjoy the time with them. Like, that's that for me was something that I heard and thought, fuck, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be known for just being a certain, looking a certain way. Oh, yeah, she was really lean. So, so what? What else was I? What else did I bring to people's lives apart from... Tupperware and boiled eggs to bloody parties and events so yeah that would be my first step to answering that question obviously there's not much context so I can't give much more context but I hope that's giving you some some food for thought you know we weren't put on this bloody planet to consistently stress about what we eat and what we look like um I'm gonna round it off there and stop there hope this has been helpful if you have questions like this, um, I obviously pick them out of my check-ins, but if you've got something that you want to throw at me and you want answering, please feel free to shoot me a message or email me. Um, and yeah, I will record one of these every two weeks. Next week will be a normal topic again. And I hope you have learned something today and it's been helpful. Um, whatever you're doing, wherever you are, I hope you are well and I will catch you all soon. Thank you for listening.